my name is Dustin Thompson. I get to be the pastor here, and it's my joy to preach the word to you uh, from the book of Luke, chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 45 this morning. While you're standing, if you'll find that in your Bibles, um, I'll read for us from uh, Luke chapter 20, starting in verse 45, and we'll read a little bit into chapter 21. Would you hear then God's word as it's read to you? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up. And saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Our God to whom all hearts are open, we pray that your word would expose our hearts, change our hearts, conform us to the image of Christ, and we pray this all in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, there was a man named recently named Dean Gunther, a tattoo artist, currently residing in Manchester, England. And when a recent client came to him with a strange and bold idea, he was ready for it, uh, so ready that he did it for free. Uh, The client was a friend who hates working out, but wanted to have a well-toned six-pack for the summer. And so he asked Gunther to tattoo the look onto his stomach. Uh, Gunther said, I had seen some really bad attempts at this before, and because I specialize in color realism, I wanted to give it a go. Of course, it wasn't only the technical challenge uh, that got him on board. Uh, He also added the additional deep motivation, uh, quote, I thought it would be funny. Uh, Once they completed the two-day project, they took a video and shared it on social media, uh, and and it was as popular as you might uh, imagine. Uh, Gunther's followers responded with a combination of disbelief, uh, bemusement, and perhaps disgust. Uh, One user summed it up. Uh, in, this aphorism, in this aphorism, if you can't tone it, tat it. Uh, if you look up the image like I did, it's about as disturbing as you would think. Uh, from, from first glance, it looks pretty real, um, and then it just sort of gets more and more disturbing from there. Um, but but what's, what's disturbing here um, is not only that it sort of exposes this sort of external-focused um, uh, you know, focused on what other people think, but uh, even on a on a deeper level, right? Uh, not just the joke that you're going to uh, get these fake, you know, tattoos, um, but that there was a man willing to permanently alter his body uh, for the sake of how that might be seen on social media. So the story says more than it probably intends to say, and yet what's more disturbing: uh, tattooed abs or uh, painted on spirituality. Uh, what's more disturbing, someone who would do this for likes and sort of get what they were looking for, and uh, Christians who would sort of put on a face, put on a mask, 
and one, think that it would work, uh, think that God doesn't know the heart, think that other people can't see through it, or two, that it would somehow fulfill them. And yet we all find ourselves at times uh, doing this. Uh, spiritual posturing, if you will. Uh, living as if what, all that matters is, is that we live before man and not God. Uh, Jesus has something to say about this in our passage this morning. And, and the simple warning this morning, the, the message is beware of spiritual posturing. Beware of spiritual posturing. It's, it's not just the scribes and the Pharisees that do it, but all of us can slip into it. And so we're going to look at three postures. Uh, you can follow along in the bulletin if that's helpful to you. Uh, the first two are negative postures that we're being warned against, and the third is going to be a positive one. What does true, honest, humble Christianity look like? What does it look like to live uh, before God, simply, honestly, exposed, and yet receiving His grace? And strength. So let's look at the first negative posture then. If we're to beware of spiritual posturing, number one, uh, we're going to look at the posture of pride. The posture of pride. Now, you'll remember that in our passage, Jesus has been dealing with his opponents. Um, in the last three passages, two of them, uh, the, the, the teachers, the, the leaders of his day, uh, they come to him with various theological questions. They're trying to stump him. Uh, Jesus, of course, thwarts them at every step of the way showing himself to be the true rabbi, the true teacher, the true savior. Uh, Last week, then, he sort of turns uh, offensively back at them, and he gives them a theological question. Uh, Who is the Christ? Who am I to you, a son of David and Lord of all? So he challenges their beliefs. Now, in our passage, he challenges their practice. Uh, So not only do they have wrong belief, but here they have wrong practice. And so Jesus says, beware, in verse 46, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. And Luke tells us in in verse 45, this is in the hearing of all the people that he says this to his disciples. If if you trace back, we've uh, we've actually been in the temple in Jerusalem for the last few weeks. Uh, Jesus came in and cleansed the temple. And then this whole section implies that Jesus continues to teach in the temple. Uh, so imagine this. I mean, he's, he's, it's like he showed up at church and is criticizing the religious leaders uh, right there at the center of religious life in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is bold here because he knows his time is short. And you might ask, haven't we already seen this? Hasn't Jesus already warned us about the scribes and the Pharisees? You would be right. Back in Luke chapter 11, there's a long section Uh, many moons ago, we covered this together, but let me just give you a taste of that section. Uh, Again, reminding us that Jesus was meek and mild and yet bold uh, and spoke truth, all of it. Uh, Luke 11 verse 42 says, "'Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Uh, Woe to you Pharisees, you love the best seat in the synagogues.'" And greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. What a striking image. The false leaders of his day who should have been coming humbly to the word are like graves that look, they're whitewashed, they're clean on the outside, but it's a grave. It's just a cover up for death as people walk over it. And so Jesus speaks harshly against them, and, and, the, and then he speaks in verse 45 in Luke chapter 11 of the lawyers, which are the same as here, the, the scribes. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. 
And so Jesus backed down. No, he says, woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens that you cannot bear. And then in chapter 12, he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So no, this isn't the first time that Jesus is warning his disciples, but I I believe now he's doing so again because the time is short. Uh, He sees the cross just over the hill, and he is looking at his disciples, whom he knows will be confused when he dies. He knows they'll be scattered for a time. And he's saying, number one, beware of those who spiritually posture. Beware of these imposters, these teachers and false shepherds, because they're going to continue until I come back. But number two, beware of becoming like them. Beware of spiritually posturing like they do, if even in less obvious ways. And so let's get to the meat of it here. Jesus says, beware of the scribes. And what is he telling them to beware of? We see in verse 46 a posture of pride. They love to walk around in long robes, you know, ostentatious clothing that lets everyone know their status as teachers and religious leaders. They love greetings in the marketplaces, you know, being called rabbi. They love the best seats in the synagogues. Perhaps they have others move aside and and, and, and sit in the best of seats. And, and they love the places of honor at feasts. They love these external markers of what they probably believed was truly a blessing from God. That here they were, religious leaders. God was blessing them, and everyone needed to know it. Uh, but this is, of course, in contrast to how Luke, uh, well, Luke, but how Jesus has dealt with uh, pride on the one hand and humility on the other. In Luke 14, 7, he looks, Jesus looks around a table um, and, and he tells a parable when he noticed how they chose the places of honor at the feast. And he eventually says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you look it up, Jesus repeats that line throughout the gospel of Luke. The, those who exalt themselves, those who put themselves in the highest seats uh, will have the chair kicked out from underneath them one day whether in this life or the life to come or both. Uh, But those who are humble, uh, those like the woman that Cole talked about from Luke 7 who come and wash Jesus' feet and and pray for mercy, they'll be exalted. Uh, They'll have a place at the feast. And so Jesus challenges this posture of pride which emphasizes the external. Uh, It elevates what man thinks and not what God thinks, not what God desires. And again, we need to be careful that we don't just say, oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the scribes. I might be many things, but I I, I don't wear long robes. (laughs) That's okay. I I don't focus on the external. I know people who do. Not me. But every time we read scripture, it's also a mirror to our own hearts. Uh, The book of Hebrews says that the word cuts down to the heart. It cuts through bone and marrow. So then it certainly cuts through any pretense and mask that we try to put up as the Holy Spirit desires to expose that. And so be cognizant of that, Christian, this morning. Perhaps the Holy Spirit's opening up your heart to say, you know, there are ways that I've been posturing, uh, ways that I want to let my fellow Christians know that I don't need help. I, I have this figured out. Or worse, I'm, we would never say it, but I, I'm, I am smarter. I, I have figured out something that other Christians haven't figured out. 
my theology is deeper. My worship is more reverent. And I want people to know it. Beware. Beware of spiritual posturing. Beware of the leaven of the scribes. Beware of this tendency in our hearts. Because remember, Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew are very cutting, if you, if you will hear them. Matthew 23, 2-3 says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Do you hear the biting condemnation? There's a category of person who, on, on one level, has their doctrine in a row, lined up, technically right, but their life doesn't reflect it. But their life is spiritual posturing. And he's saying, beware. Beware of false teachers who do that, but beware of that tendency in your own heart. Now, of course, we, we, we don't mean the opposite. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, if, if I'm advocating for a, a, a church culture where we're honest, where we let each other know what our needs are, where we confess our sins to one another, uh, don't hear what we're not saying. We're, we're not saying uh, the opposite, which is almost this forced authenticity that can come up, uh, where, you know, if, 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 if you greet someone in the foyer and they don't confess their deepest, darkest sin within three seconds of meeting them, then they must not be a Christian. <laughs> uh, no, relationships uh, have mutual trust. Uh, there are people that we go extremely deep with, and there are other people that we just met, and we want to get to know them, and of course share what God's doing in our life, but um, it, it's not a forced authenticity, uh, which itself becomes its own mask, right? Look at how intense my prayer request is, right? I've been in church cultures where uh, when prayer requests are asked, if you say, you know, you know, of course, pray for me, but there's nothing big. I'm, you know, I've had a great week. You know, praise the Lord. People just sort of look back like, is lightning going to strike this person? Like, uh, there's no such thing as a good week for a Christian. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about walking simply, honestly, humbly before God and man, finding help, as we need it, confessing our sins, being blessed by him, all of it. So we, we do away with a posture of pride. Number two, we do away with the posture of pretense, or the posture of pretense, or even pretending, you could say. This is the mask aspect that we've been talking about. Uh, look at, uh, if you look at the outward, uh, what's going on with these scribes, that, you know, the greetings in the marketplaces, the religious leaders, verse 47, they say these long prayers. But right in the middle of that is, exposes the heart. Verse 47, who devour widows' houses. And they say their long prayers for a pretense. Who devour widows' houses. What's, what's going on here? Well, the mask is coming off. Jesus is saying, beware of these false teachers and leaders because no matter how good they look or how long their prayers are or how good their doctrine is technically, even though that's false too, they don't see me as Messiah, beware, they devour widows' houses. Why does Jesus focus on widows? Well, widows, especially at the time, would be one of the most vulnerable people in society. And the book of Luke especially has focused on widows and the poor and those coming into the kingdom who know. So that Jesus is willing to say, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
And of course, that ultimately means spiritually, spiritually poor. I, I need Jesus, but he's not just saying that. <laughs> and Jesus here exposes their hearts by saying, it doesn't matter what they say, what they teach, how much they give, we'll see in a minute. They devour widows' houses. Now, we're not sure exactly what the dynamic here was. It, it seems decently clear that the scribes especially would sometimes serve as arbiters of the estates of widows. Uh, the husband might appoint before he died uh, the scribes, the, the religious teachers, to help uh, run the affairs. And so perhaps there was nefarious dealings with that, or they were keeping a larger portion than was their due. Uh, either way, widows who should have been cared for by the temple, by the church, by God's people, were being devoured, destroyed. And it showed what every pretense was trying uh, to hide uh, behind. And of course, of course, we see this today. Uh, this continues in false teachers and preachers uh, today. Uh, here's just one example. A U.S. televangelist recently asked his followers to help fund his fourth private jet. Uh, because if Jesus were here today, he, quote, wouldn't be riding a donkey. Uh, Jesse Duplantis said that God told him, specifically, to buy a Falcon 7X for $54 million. Uh, he added that he was hesitant about the purchase at first, but said that God told him, quote, false quote, I didn't ask you to pay for it. I asked you to believe for it. Now, that's sort of a comical... We could point to that, and yet people are deceived by that as well. I mean, those $54 million didn't come from nowhere. There are people who are truly being taught that this person is truly a man of God, on mission from God, and, 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 and to get on that train, give toward that, and God will bless you. And if you don't give, he won't bless you. Uh, we call this the prosperity gospel. And yet we could point to that, and that's so extravagant and so extreme. Uh, and yet on a much smaller scale, there are false teachers, false prophets, uh, false shepherds across this land who know that people are going to sniff that out, <laughs> uh, but who abuse their power and authority in such a way that continues to devour widows' houses, to devour those who need help, to devour those who would come to Jesus humbly uh, in, in their time of need. And it says that they will receive then the greater condemnation, verse 47. They will receive the greater condemnation. What does Jesus mean? Of course, all sin deserves death. All, all sin deserves eternal death because it's against a holy and perfect and just God. And yet, all throughout Scripture, there's an emphasis that those who would stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, should do so with trembling. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, Philip Ryken says this, These strong words of warning were spoken by the very person who one day would judge the world. Jesus wanted to be sure that we knew how badly things will go for many religious people on the day of judgment. It will go badly enough for people who did not want anything to do with God at all, but it will be even worse for people who pretended to be spiritual, and worse still of all for the spiritual leaders who should have known better. 
A friend, perhaps you came this morning and you are sick of seeing so-called Christian leaders who do not feed the sheep but instead devour them. Uh, Those who prefer the best seats but have no time to sit down with their people. Those who parade around in extravagant clothing and production sets but would never sit down and pray with a poor church member. Uh, Those who are professional pretenders who have even mastered the art of feigning authenticity, humility, and love with tears in their eyes while their hearts are cold and dead and far from God. My friend, please know that's not God's heart. He will deal with those false shepherds, whether in this life or the next, either calling them to true repentance as we pray, or taking them out of commission, whether in this life or the next, because Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus tells us that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, the good shepherd, come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and that same good shepherd calls under shepherds who will walk humbly before him, confessing their sin, not manipulating their post. Christ came for his people without pride and without pretense. He lived openly and honestly before his God. He spoke truly the word of God, and he went to the cross bombarded by insults, spitting, and religious posturing from the religious elite. And he died for the sins of his people. I died for those who knew they needed forgiveness. Who had every mask taken away. There was no pretense. They know I deserve death. That's my savior. Remember me when you go into your kingdom, Lord. That's what true belief and repentance looks like. And I pray that that would be true of you this morning. Even if it wasn't true when you walked in. That you would put your faith in this Jesus. So that you could say he died For me. He died for me. And so he does away with the posture of pretense. Lastly, let's look at the posture of poverty. We see in verses 1 through 4 of chapter 21, this amazing, quiet story that gives us a picture of true Christianity. Remember, we're still in the temple. And... Jesus looks up, he notices, he, he sees the rich bringing their offerings. And uh, it's likely at the time in the temple there would have been uh, 13, they, they called them horns, you know, sort of a horn shape, um, so that the coins and things would fall in and sort of rattle their way down into the treasury, uh, just, just as a practical matter. So people would come up. Uh, the rich are bringing, probably in their long robes, bringing their extravagant offerings Uh, But Jesus notices something else. He sees a poor widow uh, come in. Probably no one else notices her. Uh, She makes her way quietly into the temple up to the offering. And she puts in two small copper coins. Uh, You know, the the just cacophony of sound from all the other coins and and everything going into the offerings. and, And here are these two coins that sort of dink their way down. Some translations say pennies, and, and that's a good translation because it's the, it was the smallest Roman coin, just like the penny is our smallest coin. Imagine she makes this trek all the way to put in two pennies, and Jesus notices this. And what does he say? Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Some would say, 
what he means is more than all of them combined. All the offerings that are rolling in, she just put in more than all of that combined. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. What does that mean? Let me try to explain with a story that I came across. Philip Riken again tells this story. When I was a student at Philadelphia's Westminster Theological Seminary, I was always impressed by a framed notice in the lobby of Machen Hall. The notice read as follows, A Fanny Mulder, who was called to glory October 20th, 1987. In a, letter, in a letter from her attorney, we learned that she had only the following personal property in her possession when she died, having been on Title 19 for the last few years. Uh, then the notice listed the contents of Mulder's apartment. She had some clothes, six robes, two sweaters, 13 adult diapers, 19 hospital gowns, one pair of slippers, and five pairs of socks, plus two single socks. She also had some personal items, a purse, a mirror, an old thimble, a toothbrush, a comb, etc. She needed the glasses uh, in her possession so that she could read her uh, two copies of the Bible and her Psalter for singing. In addition to a broken radio, the only other thing Fanny Mulder had in her possession was some money. Do you know how much she had? Not much, only 12 cents, a dime and two pennies. But the lawyer explained that the old woman had drawn up the will because she felt strongly that she should invest whatever she had in the work of the kingdom of God. After the will went through probate, the seminary uh, was the beneficiary of the dime and the two pennies, now gratefully displayed on campus as the lasting testimony of a woman who gave Jesus everything she had. What legacy are you leaving? The widow and the gospels had only two cents, but she gave them both to Jesus. Fanny Mulder had a lot more than two cents. She had 12, and she gave them all to Jesus too. How much do you have? Whatever you have, whether you're giving out of poverty or abundance, give it all to Jesus, Philip Riken says. This woman was not living by pretense. There was no mask. All of that had shed away out of even necessity. Uh, but she loved her God, and she gave, and God was pleased with what she gave. True Christianity is not long robes and choice seats and heavy offering bags, but a poor widow approaching her God and giving joyfully all that she has, living honestly before God and man. And a posture of poverty, a posture of open hands. Christian, he knows your heart. He knows what you need before you ask it, and so forsake all pride, forsake all pretense, humble yourself before him to whom all hearts are open, and find life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, that it does cut down beneath bone and marrow, it cuts away all pretense. Lord, we're sorry for the ways that we uh, pretend before you as if you don't see that we pretend before our brothers and sisters, I pray that you'd help us to live honestly before you, finding mercy and help and correction and everything we need with you and in the life of your people. And would you help us to do that even today, even this week? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.